Hello, everyone, and welcome to Broadcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western Ontario. I'm your host, Yusuf, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Sarah Clapman. And today we are here with Emmanuel Murray Leclerc, who's doing his PhD in economics and also has some overlap with psychology. So really, really fascinating to have you on our show, Emmanuel. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm a pleasure to be here. So Emmanuel, tell us more about yourself and how you came to be interested in economics to begin with. What was your master's in? Okay, so, um, well, I started doing economics in undergrad, um, not like as a, I would say, it was not a degree in economics, but it was like a joint degree in political science, philosophy and economics in Montreal. And um, I liked economics just because of, I could study issues that I, I would study in like political science, for example, but from a, a framework that's more like structured and, and more um, interesting, I, I would say, to, to, to like dive deep into. Now, Michael, did you just say you did some philosophy as well? Yeah, I did like my undergrad was political science and, and economics, but I took a lot of courses in philosophy just because <laughs> I was interested in that. I'm doing my PhD in philosophy, so I'm, oh. I'm now even more excited than I was. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I wanted at some point to do a master in philosophy, um, but I decided that I had to make a choice. So I decided to do economics. I guess part of the reason is is like employment opportunities after yeah. school. But, you know, I, I like philosophy in general, and, and I, I like to learn about more what people think about the world and stuff. So, yeah. Cool. That's really interesting. So tell us a little bit, if you would, about your research. So right now I'm doing um, a paper on uh, environmental regulation and how um, having regulation in, in specific region may increase pollution in, in unregulated region. And so I would say that like the, the intuition behind this, this research is quite you know, simple. There are things that you know, people kind of know and you can expect and think about, but the, the main issue is, is like methodological, um, how can I quantify these things? How can I observe that in the data? How can I measure changes in pollution? And, and so the, the big challenge that I'm working on right now is, is to like work at, with a model that tells me, you know, what is the determinants of pollution of, of uh, companies and um, how the companies are related between each other based on the, you know, the type of product that they sell and the kind of market that they operate in. And so all of these pieces together to try to understand determinants of pollution. Right. And you mentioned that in your summer research paper or just paper that you're working on, uh, there's this, you're utilizing the concept of carbon leakage and yeah. how, you know, maybe having regulations in a particular region uh, may, I'll say regulations, say imposing carbon taxes, for example, in a particular region may result in an increase in pollution in other regions. Tell yeah. us more about carbon leakage and the, the kind of research you're working on right now? So carbon leakage is, or people also, there's a, another word for it, but it's not exactly the same. It's called pollution haven. And it's basically the idea that, you know, as developed countries um, like Canada or European Union, the US regulate pollution, um, the production of polluting goods, like especially you think about manufacturing stuff, may shift towards region in the world that are more less regulated right and the idea behind this this kind of reasoning is is a simple economic reasoning of 
the fact that it's more expensive to produce the good at home, then it's more, I mean, it's cheaper to just buy it from a cheaper place and import it at home, right? And so this is the right. basic idea underlying the, the carbon leakage issue. And in my opinion, one thing that's interesting about that is if that keeps happening more and more, the more developed countries do that, then you, you have an effect of concentrating pollution in, in specific unregulated region. And so, you know, this is, some people may think this is an issue. Um, I, I'm curious to know more about that, so. Can I ask a follow-up as well? Um, so, what do you think if, if that is proven to be the case in your studies as well in some interesting manner, um, what do you think the solution may look like? Would you propose, for example, that maybe one remedy is that we don't have unregulated areas and somehow there's a whole scale effect uh, uh, thereby avoiding the carbon leakage issue or mitigating it in some important way, or maybe not have as many regulations to begin with? What yeah, would you like? I, I think this is a very good point. And, and the literature actually um, in economics has proposed, uh, the main solution I think proposed is something called um, import tariffs and it, or like border, I think it's called border import tariffs or something like that. And it's basically saying like, let's say I'm a country like Canada and I, I regulate some um, manufacturing industry and I'm scared that uh, the production was going to move to China and we're going to import those goods. Then what I can do is that I can, um, I can tax the import of that specific good and to kind of like buy the same amount of the carbon tax or something to try to mitigate the leakage. But there's some more deeper issue about leakage because if it just changes the, the prices that people pay, then that may not be able to to have. That may not be sufficient. And another issue is like, let's say you have three countries. So let's say I take Canada and China and the U and India, for example. Mm -hmm. And let's just assume that Canada supplies uh, China or India, okay? And then Canada decides to to regulate um, carbon and then what happens is that the trade between China and India can increase, right? And so it doesn't have to be necessarily like related to Canada. So this is also an issue that you may not be able to um, deal with, with these kind of uh, tariffs. Mm -hmm. If that made any sense. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So it sounds a bit like you're describing sort of outsourcing pollution from countries that can afford it to countries that can't. And that's really, that's interesting because to me, as somebody who knows nothing about economics, it sounds a little bit like an economics take on environmentalism, but of course much more sort of capitalistic. Do you ever find that your research runs up against those two poles of sort of environmental protectionism versus economic protectionism? So yeah, so there's a lot of people that are working on, on like sort of trying to make sure that com the industry stay competitive and, and things like that. And that's not really like my line of research, but I would say that this is a fundamental question of how, how do we view the world, right? So this kind of research is a, is a positive research in a sense that we want to, to draw empirical observation from things that, that are happening, right? So um, is the world operating in a capitalist way? Are the firms behaving that way or not? Like this is the underlying fundamental question. And if they are behaving that way, then this is the, the better framework, I think, to study these things, right? Hmm. Yeah. So, um, that's pretty fascinating, but also got my attention uh, a lot. And I don't know, uh, you probably you took some psychology courses as well. 
Um, not a lot of psychology courses, but uh, I studied a little bit in the past two years an area of, of research in economics that, that is very linked to psychology and the development of like human life. And yeah. So Using, this is really fascinating. You mentioned in your abstract that uh, you've also studied the relationship between economic environments of individuals, say, for example, uh, parental wealth, for example, as, a, as an economic uh, factor, and compared that or how, with the relationship of cognitive development in that particular individual. Yeah. That's super cool. And could you share more um, with us more on this, in these particular uh, relations? Yeah, and, and just before I do that, I would like to shout out the Western Economics Department because they are very, um, I would say, active in, in this area. And this is like, because they have done research in that and the advisors of professors here have done a lot of research in that. And, and some of the fundamental question underlying this is understanding when, when let's say I'm a policymaker and, and I want to intervene in the economy to, to sort of alleviate poverty or, or kind of make wealth more equal or something like that. Should I do it when, when the kids are very young? So like before they enter school, should I do it when they're in, in high school? Should I do it when they're in college? And so by trying to understand when we should intervene and what kind of intervention we should do, then we, like economists have started to study like the process that, that the cognitive evolution of people and how different incentives in terms of like the, the wealth that your parents have you know, because yeah. if your parents are more wealthy, maybe you're going to go to a better school and stuff like that. And then studying that in, in, a, in a framework that is sort of like very um, structured. So like trying to form experiments where you, you would draw like randomly people and you would say like those people I, I send to this, this random school and these people I don't. And, and if these people are ex ante similar, then observing the effect on their cognitive ability in terms of like what how they perform in test scores later on and, and other sort of like emotional well-being and things like that and um, I guess one of the like the main point underlying this is like e like human development is economic development that's what economists say about that and so if people are better the economy will be better but I think it's interesting for its own purpose just to study that right it's not necessarily to make the economy better that's personally my view but yeah that is really interesting the idea that the economy is people because i've yeah. always thought of the economy as a, a construct a human construct right because i'm pretty sure you can argue that pretty strongly um yeah sure so do you ever think about the way in which um people interact with the economy and then the economy sort of responds to that because here you're talking a little bit about how if you um create economic interventions in early childhood people are different and then that cycles back into changing the economy are there other interactions that occur not just like in early childhood um i mean there are a lot of different things that that can happen for example um let's think like during covid um if, if the government give, is giving money to, um, I mean, like trying to understand like what are the determinants of well-being related to the economy. So let's say people are getting uh, laid off because of COVID and then the government gives them money. Like one of the questions that you, you may want to know is, is that sufficient? 
not for the economy necessarily, but for people's well-being to just have money or, or do they, is it better to, for them to have employment? Right. And so I don't know. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but you know, um, things like that you, you can, uh, yeah, study. Well, I was wondering, um, given how the situations have changed for all of us as graduate students given COVID-19, how does um, this new situation change how it impact your research and your academic life? Would you like to share something on that? Yeah, for sure. So I would say that it, my research, so it's kind of like hard to know because I started working on this paper um, the moment that COVID started. And so I would say that this paper so far has been going well, but I, I in terms of academic life, it's been very, very impactful. Like for me, mm -hmm. I, I feel way more isolated than before. And um, it's kind of weird because it's as if like mentally I'm going back 10 years, you know, because yeah. like in, yeah. it's weird to say, but it's like uh, back in like 10 years ago before I left my parents' house to go to college or whatever, uh, li living in, in their home and, and not having the social life. I feel a little bit like that now. You know, while I, I've been like building a life in the past 10 years um, to kind of like emancipate from that. So it's, it's kind of weird to do that right now, to be at home and working from home. I'm not a fan, to be honest. Like, I like to work with people and, and because research is kind of isolating already because you're working a lot alone. And so having social interaction uh, is very important for me. But how do you think uh, this situation can improve a lot for, for you or any other researcher who may be feeling the same, going through I mean, the same kinds of experiences that you are? I think that, so I don't know like how Western is doing, but they, like the econ department is gradually allowing students with like very, um, I guess, rigorous measures of, of um, health in, in the school. So like wearing a mask and stuff. And I think like it would be nice if, if people decide to go to school like people that are in phd and faculty members um to to still go to school and, and you know just take the, the the COVID as like a precaution that you have to take in, in your social interactions but not distantiate yourself from others you know and try to live normal life i think that's very important hmm. do you uh you mentioned earlier an example in which uh COVID had an effect on the economy and, and on people who were being given the sort of benefit. Uh, has this situation inspired you to change the direction of your research or brought anything else into it because it's just so unprecedented? Um, definitely like, so we were talking a little bit about psychology and I'm very curious about um, understanding the effect of COVID just on the, the, the mental health of people and not necessarily things that are related to the economy, but like more like a lack of economy or whatever you could call that on, on how, how people feel and how people interact with, with others and um, what does this cause. And I'm very curious about like understanding um, people, you know? Yeah, it seems yeah. that maybe this situation may bring some positives for you in, in some ways because maybe your direction, your research direction might change in a more sort of even more applied sense uh, yeah. in how it, people are being impacted, their mental health and uh, using your economic resources to tackle some difficulties that may impact policies as well. Yeah, uh, I, so. definitely, yeah. I, I think like 
exactly as you're saying, it might be it's something I'm considering and I have to think about, but I, I want to study these things and I, I would like to use economic methodology, which uh, uses math and, and some tools that we have that maybe other fields don't, don't have to study these things, um, mental health or things like that. But for me, mental health is a very, it's very hard to think empirically about it because it seems like very personal. You know, when I think about, for example, my mental health, I think about the experience of my life and I think about such detailed stuff and people may be able to relate to certain things, but every individual's life is unique and trying to put things in a systematic way, I'm always wondering if that's the right approach to, to understanding, right? Mm -hmm. So, I'm, I'm very interested in your research and uh, it's very new to me because I really, again, I don't know much about economics, but I do think that the fact that you're pulling together economics and psychology is really interesting. I, I did a psychology undergrad, so I'm a little biased. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> um, but do you ever wonder about uh, the psychology of money and economics and how that like shapes people throughout their lives and what the world would look like if we were in a different economic system i know that's a big question i just threw it at you but sometimes i think about that and i wonder what your take is yeah i think that's a very like it's a very hard question and there are people that in behavioral economics that are studying how i mean there's different questions related to that so it's like how do people um perceive money. So there's, okay, I'll give you an example that I think may be relevant. It's something called, um, what is it called again? Let me just try to remember. Um, okay, so first there's something called um, inattention, which is basically when you go in everyday life, um, buying things and uh, things like that, you may not be like very aware of all the choices that are available to you. And uh, you may buy things repeatedly and it it may not be quote unquote um, rational. So economists have studied that. I, I'm not super interested in that. Um, and then there's this other idea um, that I forgot the name. It's some form of discounting. Did, did you guys hear that part? Yeah, okay, so I'm not gonna repeat that. But yeah, there's a lot of like studies that try to understand the psychology of money and um, I, one part that I'm interested in that's not very economics is, is the understanding of gambling and understanding of like how your mind works when you're, you're, you're doing gambling. And I think that would be very interesting because it seems like to me, because I read some books about that, um, that when you're, you're gambling or maybe you, you become so obsessed that the whole world disappears, you know, and, and you f forget everything and you become sort of like in a void. Right. And that's why people do it for like 14 hours in a row. Uh -huh. And I'm very curious about that because this is related to like the incentive of money. Right. That makes you do this. And I would like to know why. Yeah. What, what leads to this kind of obsession? Um, yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, gambling could be, could become a kind of addiction. I mean, I can relate it to say, for example, gaming. Uh, which yeah. may not have a money aspect to it, but uh, yeah, I mean, 14 hours, or oh, we can go much more than that. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> true. I, I can relate to that too. So I, I really understand this type of, um, I, I think like as a person, I, I, I tend to be sometimes obsessive, even with research, like I will like tunnel vision a problem so hard and, and I just cannot take my mind off it. And, and I completely forget around it, the bigger picture and stuff like that. 
and it seems to be a recurring theme in my life. So understanding that is kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, my background is I study music neuroscience and the, uh, the areas of the brain, the reward systems that are involved in things like gambling and addictions, because um, they just make you feel so good. Uh, it's really neat because it, it's also involved in things like food and sex and like things that are actually good for you and things that your body wants you to continue doing because they'll keep you alive and uh, help the species evolve. But it, you know, things like that hijack the system like drugs or like addictions or like music actually. Um, it's just such an interesting little like back entry into such an important brain area. So I think there's a lot of cool research you could be doing, especially from an economics perspective. I've never heard anything like that. That's really cool. Um, I was curious, is it like dopamine? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you get addicted to, to like dopamine in the sense that you, yeah. Can you get addicted to that? You get addicted to the feeling. Um, and dopamine is sort of the, the neural precursor to that. Um, but ultimately, you, you get addicted to whatever feels good. And that can be very different for different people, right? Like, I mean, that's not my research. So I can't really speak to it. But okay. uh, I do think it's, it's very neat that money has this very reinforcing quality because obviously, if you have money, then you, by extension, have all these other things that you could want. But it's yeah. interesting to me that people are rewarded by having money as opposed to money because it can buy you something else. Yeah, definitely. I think this is a very important distinction. Um, and I'm just curious because for me, money is not like a big driving factor in my life. I think it's part of the reason I'm doing a PhD, <laughs> but <laughs> just in, in general, it's very weird to study economics when I'm not like, because I, a lot of my colleagues, you know, they like money. They like to study money. I'm not super, interested in money like to me that's not so interesting but i don't know it's just how i feel so, so manuel yeah i'm sorry you wanted to say something no it's okay i was just um, go ahead sure uh, i was just thinking um besides uh the connection to economics and psychology what other kinds of topics have interest you that you think you might pursue in the coming year for example or it's worth considering um okay so i was so you said besides psychology and economics yeah so or some aspect of that would be i mean i've not taught like a very big picture but i have a couple things that i i'm curious about so one is um understanding the determinants of of uh like when people age and i think like this relates to neuroscience a little bit it is like i'm kind of curious to know uh, what happens like in terms of your, your cognitive ability, like is age such a, a large factor that near the end of your life, it doesn't matter what you let, what you did throughout your life, now smart you were, or it, does that matter? And I, I attended the, the neuroscience day, I think, or some kind of conference at, at Western uh, in winter, because I was curious about that. And the speaker was discussing this, and a lot of these things were in clinical settings, right? And I thought we have very interesting data in economics with these kind of things, but that's a very different data because it's observational and, and you have, a, say, a more representative population. And I thought maybe we could try to answer some of these questions using our, our, our type of data and methodology. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds really neat. Yeah. Uh, 
those are good questions. And again, approaching it from an econ perspective is very different from uh, sort of a clinical perspective, which is really where I've been. Um, I, I was at Neuro Research Day and uh, my research involves older folks. So it's always good to hear that people okay. care about older people. That's, uh, that's I'm very exciting. I'm curious about that because I don't know, like, I know that I'm still young, but I'm curious about the end of life. And part of the reason for that is I remember seeing my grandma um, a couple of years ago that was 97. And when I saw her, like, soon, like, very, not long, not short before she died, she had forgotten everything about her life. And that just made me question so many things or like just so yeah that's why i'm kind of curious about the understanding that and yeah so right so that that i mean it's quite something when your research is impacted by some of your own personal lived experiences yeah and it leads you to directions that you may not have thought before to explore uh wow yeah and yeah yeah i agree i think even talking to you guys uh, today during this interview it's making me think that and uh, i think i would like to take that direction um but there are so many questions that, that are interesting and so it's hard to decide with research that that is super cool i mean it's wonderful to have conversations where we all learn something from each other and if it helps motivate people to think in areas that they were not thinking too much. I mean, that's amazing. And it actually be one of the slogans of podcast as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, to, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, this is this has felt like a really interdisciplinary conversation, which is my favorite kind. Um, yeah. And I'm I am very excited to see how what kind of um, additional tools and benefits you can bring from an economics perspective because it seems like you're interested in all these other like related but yeah. but separate fields yeah um, and that's a really cool approach to take because often people get so siloed in their discipline so yeah there, this is a very fascinating part like using the tools of economics to to study these things and then um, there's i don't know how like are you guys familiar with math just in general because i mean there's there's a couple famous papers in economics that really like led led this kind of movements of studying so, some of these things and um one of the the main author his name is james heckman and um he, he has written papers that are studying that and if you guys ever read this or you you write his name on on youtube uh he has won a nobel prize and he is very interesting to to listen to because you you will you will hear this kind of approach to studying and and um psychology what's his name uh, i'll write it in the chat but his name is james heckman um okay for all our viewers to know as well that's yeah. fantastic so we're running out of time we'll definitely check out james heckman as well uh so emmanuel are there any social media links that you want to share with us as well oh yeah for sure uh, my email address uh is, is like uh emurrayl at uwuwo.ca and people can also find me on facebook and if, if you like send me a message, I'll, I'll answer you. And uh, I also have a Twitter, but you can message me there. Although I don't have a picture, I never posted anything. I will know that someone messaged me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, Emmanuel. So this has been the Gradcast, um, the official 
radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western Ontario. I've been your host, Yusuf, and my co-host was... Sarah Clapman. We've been speaking with Emmanuel Murray uh, Leclerc, and this episode was produced by Gavin Tonamati. Uh, if you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at broadcastradio at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. Listen to us. We are on the radio at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can also find us all, all of our episodes on our website at Gradcast.ca on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts and upload it to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful night.